Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to Fire in the Belly. Today we have myself, Mighty Pete, and we're joined by Katriona Briggs. Good afternoon, or good morning, I should say. Good morning. Good morning, how are you? Wonderful, thank you. I'm mighty glad to have you back on and, and ready to be talking again. You know, we've, we've, we've been had the luxury of speaking before and really what we want to do is get, get to uh, hear your story. So that's what it's all about today. So thank you. So tell us, who are you? What do you do and where are you from? I am Captain Briggs Evans. Um, I was going to say I'm a wife and all the rest of it, but <laughs> I keep doing that. It's not me. I am someone who loves music. I love creativity. I am someone who has recently realized, you know what? You're a lot stronger than you actually thought you were rather, um, rather than in the victim's role. I'm somebody who is uh, very passionate about mental health. And also my role will be yeah, uh, mother of two boys and wife to another big child. <laughs> Is, uh, I think most men are big, just big children at heart anyway, so. It'd be also my, but we'll not, we'll not go into that. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us briefly, what, what sort of uh, music do you love? Oh gosh, um, I love so much different music. Right now, loving the rival sons. I want to see them. They were fab. Um, love the music from the Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm sorry if, if, if anybody's going to say, oh, for the love of heavens, but ABBA. You can't beat ABBA. I'm sorry, you just can't. Mamma Mia soundtrack, yeah. Led Zeppelin, I could go on forever about the music I like, and it's, it's not really one particular niche. That's the other thing. Who am I? I'm the one that dances like nobody's watching in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, are you in the car full volume screaming at the top of your lungs or uh, you're dancing in the kitchen? I'm desperate, yeah. But it's funny because then people come in and I stop. You know, I could mm. know them, known them for years, even the other half. I will stop. <laughs> Why? Um, self-conscious. Bit self-conscious, which is ridiculous when we've just celebrated our 19th wedding anniversary and we've been together 27 years. It was not a whirlwind romance. He grew on me. You know, it, it was a slow burner. <laughs> like bacteria, he grew on me. I love it. Yeah, I kind of think of it like a fungus, but I like bacteria. It's not just, not just his inner space. <laughs> It's like, yes, my my husband of 27 years, the superior fungus. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Gosh, that's a long time. Now, now I never feel my age. It's just a number. But today, just saying that, it's like, oh. <laughs> but yeah, it's all good fun. That's great. I mean, it sounds like you're in a you're in a great place. And I'm curious about your comment there about being stronger than you thought. Can you explain a bit about that? 
you know what I think I have uh, been since maybe 11? Even before, before that, even, I never felt I was as good as anybody else. Um, you know, younger child, the big sister and all. And I just never felt as good as anybody else. Um, when I was diagnosed with epilepsy at 11, I think I started to fall into that sort of victim role. I'm very dependent on other people. And it's only um, really since coming out the other side then of cancer and all the, the fallout after that, that I realized, do you know what? I'm, I'm not. And I thought of a second chance at life and I'm going to, I'm going to take that. I'm, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make, to turn myself around, you know, and do you know what? I am okay. I'm rather fabulous. Thanks very much. I'm not the one who's um, just never good enough. You know, if I can come through cancer and it's, it's fallout, I can, I can come through more. That's a, that's a powerful takeaway. I mean, you know, on, on those sort of major events on their own, to be able to step on the shoulders of those experiences and, and make you taller. Yeah, I suppose from my perspective, it's, well, what else would I do? But truthfully, I suppose everybody's unique, everybody's different. And yeah, a lot like, a lot of going to say, oh, it was really easy. Of course, I'm, I'm going to grow from it. It was really tough. And maybe some people will not bounce back as easily or won't build themselves up as much. Maybe some people will take that knock back. But in my mind, just in the way that I think about things, it was, well, what else will I do? I've got a second chance. Why would I waste it? You know? So I suppose that that was just really um, in my nature rather than to, you know, go back to what I was. It's, it's like... Um, I would often hear it said, you know, oh, there's no constant but change. So if I've got to make a change, well, let's let's make it a good one, you know. Yeah, that's great. I think it's a great way of looking at it. And having that second chance is, is it's enlightening in some ways and empowering that, you know, sometimes we have to see, you know, the worst or see how bad something can get, which actually triggers us to, you know, to actually um, pivot the other way. Yeah, it, it does. It takes a lot. I mean, you have interviewed so many people on here and I could almost guarantee that anybody you've interviewed, they've, they've had that mindset where they don't want to go back to whatever it was has happened or or feeling that they're not good enough or whatever it might be. It, it's There's something about um, building yourself up. It tends my experience just it tends to be that it's been the case of uh, do you know what I've had enough I've had enough of thinking I'm not good enough I've had enough of you know constantly saying yes to people and never putting myself first um, and that that's really ultimately what's happened to me you know through you know relationships toxic relationships which I didn't at the time realise were abusive um, through 
being dependent on everybody with the epilepsy and um I just just with one thing or another and uh falling into that victim role and being my story, you know, during miscarriages and everything, it's all of a sudden and it's only now speaking to you, I think, why would I want to be that story? You know, why has it taken me to this age to realise that I'm not? Um Gosh, I'm glad I'm on here because that is like just sort of a sudden epiphany. Why would I have done that? Why? But I suppose it's it's the past and it's brought me to here. So, you know, it's it's uh, maybe not not relevant to question to ask myself right now. No, it's always interesting. I mean, you know, quite often we, you know, what we're doing is giving us something, you know, so even if it's bad behavior, it is feeding us or it is providing us with something. And that could be connection. It could be value. It could be, you know, unfortunately even hurting ourselves, you know, where we don't think we're worthy. So it's always interesting. Yeah, Yeah, it is. um, Because I suppose it's like everything we always say, you, you learn from all your experiences. And Mm. we chatted before about resilience and we had sort of talked about what you thought resilience was and when you were resilient. And I started thinking about it more and I said, you know what, your resilience, your resilience, you're being resilient every day. Mm-hmm. Because there's always something, it could be a tiny, tiny wee thing, but it's always something to overcome. Um, so I think your, your experiences are just like a, an opportunity to be resilient. Absolutely. Um, so yes. Yeah, Life is one big experience, really. Isn't it funny? It takes you quite some time, you know, and different people sort of wake up or come to the realization at some point they've gone, I'm actually the driver of this bus. It's it's my choice. It's my, yeah. you know, what happens is it doesn't happen, you know, life doesn't happen to me. It happens for me. And once you take control, that's quite an epiphany. Definitely, definitely. It was um, funny listening to Donna Kennedy. And she talked about lifetime. And it's that two, two words, life and time. And I thought, oh, my word, yeah. You know, of course. It's like, how did I not see that before? You have, you have your time in your life and use it the best you can. Enjoy it. Absolutely. So, so tell me, what, is, uh, what does fire in the belly mean to you? It's the, the passion that you have, your driving force, um, Possibly you don't even know it's been there for a long time. I didn't. But uh, I, think, I think it's what you really love doing and what drives you forward, yeah, what um, really makes you take that action, you know, pushes you to really make something happen. And would you say you're, would you be hungry for the future? No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But... Um, I suppose it's now about forget the rearview mirror, so to speak. Take what you've learned and yet really focus on the future. And um, recently learned that, you know, sort of if you think about when you're stalling, you know, you always do that stall occasionally and you go off track and you, you think, oh, God, it's, like an em- it's, it's like the envelope, you don't open on the hall table and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and it's going to explode. So the actions that you don't take, um, it's, it's kind of like that same idea. 
And it's like, oh my goodness, you know, if I don't take the actions, what will happen? What are the repercussions for me and my family? And if I do, then the future, what could that be? So that was actually another takeaway working with Pat Slattery, you know. Yeah, you have to um, really focus on the future and to make me take those actions, add emotion, add the emotions to it, the emotional um, impact. So that, that really helped me because I would be quite emotional. Would you say you're are you pain-driven or pleasure-driven or where are you at? Um, I think I'm in a halfway house right now, sort of pain and pleasure-driven. Um, because I had just had enough, like I said, it was like I was not doing that anymore. Um, but I suppose I'm, I'm mostly driven by what I can, what I can achieve, the pleasure of, you know, really scaling my business up and being able to say, right, okay, I can, you know, do anything to contribute to my family life, uh, to take us places, to do things without, you know, any extra stresses about money or things and without also thinking my boys are going to be saying oh should send themselves should I ask for that because it's quite expensive I don't want them to have that mindset for money I don't want them to have that sort of scarcity mindset so yeah I'm very focused on the future that I will be able to do all those things and my other half's not going to have to work every day uh and be sore because of it. Um, and yeah, I, I just think that the future could hold so much, not just the pleasure of it. And the reason that I do things would be I want to be proud of myself. I want to make that better future, but I also want those for my family. There's also the kind of being aspect of it. it's like kind of nice when somebody says, wow, those chocolates we make were amazing. But um yeah, I, I want to build all that up because my family deserve better than they've got right now. I deserve better. So, yeah, I suppose that's, that's the real driving factor. That's amazing. funny. I was just, I've been listening to Tony Robbins at the moment and, and uh, I think it's Awaken the Giant Within. And it's great. And, you know, they were sort of, his attitude, you know, is once, if the why is not big enough, you know, the, the why, when the why is big enough, then it will change your action. It'll change your state, you know, and how, you know, when people sort of say, oh, well, I, I would love to do this, this and this, but don't. Well, then quite simply, the why is not enough that they're committing to action. So it's, and I know that's a, that's a big, big thing with Pat as well. It's taking action. It doesn't need to be complicated. It doesn't need to be fancy, but if you're not taking action, then you're going nowhere. Yeah. That's so true. Um, and I know it's, it's only, uh, it's only taken me, what, 47 years to start taking action. But when I start taking the action, that's when I see the changes. That's when I see little things happening, whether it's little incremental things or really, really big. And I see the changes in me and the changes in me that I see, I like, you know, um, the changes in me actually, if if you went back far enough, are are massive. Mm. You know? um, so yes, it's, it, w- it would never have occurred to me before. Really, the age of about forty seven, that forty six, forty seven, that 
all those little things, taking those actions made a difference. Um, I don't, I don't even know why that, why that would be. Maybe it was just the the very different person that I was back then, sort of more in the victim role, more of everybody else is better than me. Possibly just didn't think, you know, well, about taking action. You sort of, I think it was very much well, sort of, as a very negative person back then. And with no self-esteem, it would have been probably, what's the point? I'm curious there, because you've used the word victimhood. Can you, can you describe that, what, what that meant to you? I think it was sort of when you, I, do, you know, do you know what people would say? It's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to stay there. It's like, I suppose, it's like really, you know, you are in a position where you feel like you're the victim, feel like everything's really the worst possible for you or like in a relationship that is very toxic. Staying there, allowing yourself to be the victim. You may not have control over the other people and what they do and what they say, but you've control over your own thoughts and your thoughts become your actions. So if I keep thinking, well, I can't change this, I can't be someone else, I'll, I'll just go ahead with this and I'll just go along with it. Well, then I'm allowing myself to stay in that victimhood of, of the victim of really just not being good enough, of an abusive relationship, of really... It was to me. It was to me in my head. It was a fact that I wasn't good enough, and uh, I suppose along the role of, of just you know allowing myself to be that person, uh, being the one with the epilepsy, being the one who self harmed, being the one who fights themselves, being the one who burns themselves. You know, but I I chose to allow myself to be those things at the time. You know, so I chose to be that story. Would you describe it as an attention seeking? Um, attention seeking, maybe not. A cry for help. Yes, I don't mean that in an egotistical way. You know, as in you know premeditated, but almost just whether it is, as you say, a cry for help. It's it's that sort of wanting yeah. connection. Yeah. I think after a while it was, but literally, quite literally, no, it wasn't at first. It wasn't. It was that people will say that committing suicide or self-harm and things, they'll say, right, that's really selfish. And I can look back and I will feel, well, yeah, I probably was selfish. But at the same time, it was also, I cannot do this anymore. I, I really cannot do this anymore and I cannot cope with whatever situation I'm in. So do you know what? I will just that that release of the self-harm and you focus on on that, not the things that are making you just so just totally unable to cope and feeling 
I would I would have felt myself get smaller and smaller and your muscles would start to ache because you held yourself so tightly and almost shrinking into yourself. Um, so rather than feel that, yeah, like you said, I suppose a release, a different focus. It's always, I think it's interesting, you know, and you mentioned there self-harm. Can yeah. you can you talk to us about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I would have bitten myself, drawn blood. I would have deliberately scratched myself raw. I would have burnt myself in the shower. Um, and at the time, then when it, well, at that particular time, later when I went to counselling in about 2017, I'd said to her, you know, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's the stupidest thing to do, you know. And I didn't mean it at that time, as of why would I have done that to myself. At that time, I still wasn't even doing that right in my head. That's, I know how ridiculous it sounds and to say that, but in my head, it was like, no, sure, self-harm means if you have, you know, been, been cutting yourself and things like that. And of course, I couldn't, in my head, oh, sure, I can't even do that right. If that makes any sense. And I do, I do look at that and think, really? <laughs> what were you thinking? When, you know, when you say, you mentioned there, you know, when saying to yourself, I can't even do that, right? Is that, is that yeah. your own voice? Is this your own critic or is this somebody else's? It's, at the time, yeah, that was my own inner critic. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't, when I was diagnosed with cancer in 2014, that was the longest year <laughs> with so much squashed into it. But in 2014, I been diagnosed with cancer. And at one stage, I thought, eventually, actually, do you know what? It was probably 2015 by the time I could bring myself to use the Macmillan site. And I went on to it and I, I can't use this. It's for people who need it. It's not for the likes of me who only had this small cancer confined to the throat. This isn't for me. This is for people who have, for want of a better word, big cancer. You know, terminal cancer, this isn't from, you know, I've no, I suppose I have no right to take this uh, resource away from other people. That was what went on in my head, as well as, um, I suppose, an embarrassment, maybe. Because um, I remember looking at it on the laptop and I heard my other half's car. I said, oh, shut the laptop. You know, and I don't know if it was an embarrassment of that I felt because I because I acknowledged that I needed this, or if it was an embarrassment that, like I said, I didn't think I was, you know, worthy enough to use that I shouldn't have been using that resource that was for other people. I I, I hear myself say this, and I think, good grief, what was going on in your mind? But at the time, it's but that at the time that was it was, and it was in my head. It was totally, totally making sense. It's so funny you've used those two words because I've actually just written them down. Was one was embarrassment, another one was worthy. Yeah, 
Why embarrassment? I I think it was a sort of uh, embarrassment of and I, I do this all the time, I use the word admitting and it's the wrong word to use but embarrassing, embarrassing I had said, you know what, yes I'm, I do need this help but also mixed with other people, obviously I knew what other people were thinking, Lee was going to come in and think, I dare she use that she doesn't need that, it's for other people um, so yeah I think it was a mix of those two levels of embarrassment. Um, which, again, you know, it's one of those things. You know, people will say, if you don't look back and cringe on something you did, you've not grown. So, in a way, that's a brilliant thing to remember because I know that really that, that was for anybody who had any form of cancer. And I am totally, you know, uh, I was going to say within my rights, but I suppose worthy, worthy enough, enough of a person to deserve to use it. Do you think that embarrassment would have come from your childhood? Um, it, it could be possibly linked to it because I know that I I lovely childhood, uh, absolutely lovely. I was I was remarkably lucky and loved, but I think I always had a little bit of a embarrassment embarrassment because I never felt good enough. Um, Why? I, I think I just idolised my mum, my dad. Um, when I was 11, around about that time, my sister was the one I called for every time, every time. And she shielded me in school. She looked after me. She was amazing. Absolutely, totally not right. Amazing. And I had her on this plinth. And just I, to me, I just, I wasn't as good as her. I wasn't as good at her. I wasn't as good as her. And, in any area of life at all, you know. And I, 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 I know now, I've known for quite a few years now, that's totally untrue. We're just very different people. We have our own strengths, our own weaknesses. Uh, we look different, although for years, you know, it's like, oh my God, she's, she's better looking than me. She's taller than me. You know, I actually... Funny, true, quite embarrassing story. Uh, I met Lee. And I was convinced that he had this total and utter crush on my sister. Took an inferiority complex. I was convinced you know, he, he just doesn't want to be with me at all. He wants to be with my sister. Really? Where I get these notions, I'm not entirely sure. But it's funny how these things stick with you as in a memory. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 funny, but also telling at the same time, as you say that. I mean, sometimes what children hear or believe or misunderstand or pick up, you know, it's um, you really can't. I mean, 
there's Santa Claus, you know, that's something that's, you know, the world around, you know, there's, so I think, you know, saying to people, it's like, oh, that was so silly. And it's like, well, it's not because that's the biggest thing in their world at that time. And that's what they believe. And that's what it was, you know, and I know even from my own kids is misinterpretation, you know, hopefully it's not malicious about some, what something said or done, but I mean, it could be just interpretation or misunderstanding of something, but it does stick. It really does stick. Yeah, they, they do. Even sometimes you don't realize it's stuck until years and years down the line. You don't realize it's affected you to the years and years down the line. So it, it makes me sort of, I suppose, more thoughtful about how I speak to my children. I, I am far from perfect. So, of course, there'll be times and I will say totally the wrong thing and they could well go off and be so overthinking it and have perceived it in the wrong way. You know, um, I do I do have concerns. Well, concerns isn't the right, I don't think concerns is really the right word for it, but I do sort of worry that both my boys, um, especially the oldest one, had a remarkably tough time when I was diagnosed with cancer. And then as well, when I went through depression and anxiety, you know, being suicidal, all those things, those affected them so much. And obviously at the time, I didn't realise, and they're both so loving and so protective of me. And I could go out, I'm not out terribly often, but I could go out and uh, come back and maybe be 12 o'clock. My youngest top of the stairs, you know, he, he would always like to know where I'm going, when I'm going, and now he also likes to know when I'll be back. I've actually taken to, if, even if I'm going upstairs to do the washing, because I know they like to know where I am. Is that right, boys? I'm just going to be up the stairs, just doing the washing. Now, possibly, you know, now they don't really need that, but, you know, it, I have noticed so much that they like to know where I am because they, they know I've had, I have epilepsy, they, they've seen it. And I think that uh, they really, hopefully not in a negative way, but they, they are very conscious of it and look after me because of it. Is, is epilepsy, I mean, you, you mentioned being diagnosed at 11. Yeah. And is, is, is it something that's still an active sort of, part of your day as such? Well, it's only at night time. It's never been during the day, really. Uh, it's only ever when I'm asleep. And I haven't had it, I don't think, now in about a year, which is absolutely amazing for me. I'm beyond grateful for that. Beyond grateful. I think, actually, that it could be linked with the fact that I have sort of almost out the other end of menopause. And they did tell me when I was younger, it's linked to your hormones and you'll grow out of it. Tickle by, but yeah. <laughs> I, I do think it was very much like this, this sort of uh, year having not really had any yeah, has been down to that, I think. It's, it sounds like, I mean, that's an amazing relief for you to, you know, people sort of forget to have that and 
you know, all this time in your life, this is this shadow that follows you around? Totally, totally. It affected so many things. And, you know, you couldn't drive because of it. Uh, was You would have gone to bed sometimes. It's quite okay. Mm-hmm. That back of your head, will I have a fit tonight? Mm-hmm. You know, um, again, it's very much about your feelings so dependent. It's... I suppose you could say it robs you of independence and probably was another contributing factor to me not feeling good enough. Mm. It is, because I know with epilepsy, I mean, as you say, there's the driving. They recommend you don't lock the bathroom door. There's a load of steps that they sort of, people take for granted that's, there, there are, and even that sort of, you know, afterwards, you still you need that care afterwards, you know, until you're kind of sort of back to normal, and you've got that feel, you've got your feeling back, and you're breathing normally again. And uh, yeah, it was like even as a child, it was like my mum had the idea of me going swimming. <laughs> she, she tipped off the lifeguards. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, right, go with your Aunt Joan. Right, okay. And I knew, Andrew Gould, he knows right well. And my mum always got said, right, Catherine was there, just keep an eye. <laughs> well, you have to laugh by these things. Well, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you, you can actually see, especially at that, you know, 11's a very, you know, it's, it's an age when you're, you're sort of finding yourself and there's hormones, there's everything going on. Yeah. Uh, you know, it would almost be an element of embarrassment there that you can't just get on with your life. You know, the people have to know. Yeah. You know. There definitely is. There is, you know. I remember before the actual diagnosis, I I went to Whitehead, well, I thought Whitehead High School for young ladies, and that's a questionable tagline. Very questionable. But I went to Whitehead High School, well, girls' school. And... I tell him with the age, you know, the chairs, um, and it was an all one desk and chair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was one of those ones, and that's with slanted desk. Uh, I've never forgotten my hand on the desk, and it just started to move down its own. And it was just, to me, the important part was do not tell anybody. You know, you, you are not the most popular one of this class, you are bullied, you know, you do not want to draw attention to yourself. Uh, this is Miss Weir's class, and you do not want to interrupt that lady. Because <laughs> she was something else. Yeah, she really was. <laughs> so, yeah, embar- embarrassment and not wanting to be the weird one sticking out like a sore thumb for all the wrong reasons. It's amazing. I mean, the even in this short time, you know, all the things, I mean, you mentioned depression, you mentioned anxiety, you've mentioned self-harm, you've mentioned suicide, you mentioned bully, victimhood, cancer, epilepsy. That's, that's quite something. You've been through a lot. There has been. Um, and yeah, I would have felt very, very sorry for myself for a long time, but I want to look forward. I don't want to look at that now. I can acknowledge it all now. For a long time, I couldn't. But I can acknowledge it all now and look at it and put it back on the shelf. So, okay, it's taken a long time to work through it. But yeah, it's, I suppose, all part of my life and, and how I've come to where I am now. Mm-hmm. 
you know, um, yeah, I lost myself for a very long time. Um, I think at the, mainly when I was in an abusive relationship when I was 18. And I mentioned before, but I didn't even realise it was an abusive relationship because, oh, I hate to say this, back in those days, <laughs> in those days, an abusive relationship was you were being beaten. And it was possibly more about the age of 18 I was really not aware of it. So the fact that I was sort of uh, sort of bullied and harassed into moving out I didn't want to leaving a note and just going and then being totally isolated and cut off from everybody in my family any of my own friends you know spoken to like you wouldn't speak to your dog and I lost who I was I, I lost the bubbly person that I had been the outgoing person who I'd been and I was just flat floor, no self-esteem. At one stage, um, I actually haven't said it out loud because, before because I have only ever come to terms with it in the last year and a half was just this, the memory that I had blocked for so long until counselling last year of the first ever I'd had sex that was in that abusive relationship. And I just remember that horrible, grey, grubby carpet and being told there's no way that was your first time. And the shame, guilt, embarrassment that I felt from that was... Um, it, it just totally... I think there and then is possibly where I just really... Uh, totally lost any respect for myself, any self-esteem, any anything. And like I say, I can look at that now and say, do you know what? There, there was nothing you did wrong there. There was nothing, nothing to blame myself for in that. It was, um, I'd say, uh, maybe a mistake in judgment in people for an 18-year-old to make having got up with that person the first time, in the first place because like I said until about a year and a half ago to me I was totally to blame for it it was my fault that the family things that it caused it was my fault that my dad cried all of those things and things that have continued through after it um, that, that, that was not my fault that you know, I, I worked a lot on, you know, writing myself letters, you know, meditating, going back and speaking to myself. Um, you don't know how things will affect people when you say them, you know, because that, that's all it was, was that one sort of comment, that, 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 that one comment that triggered so much emotion in me, negative emotion. That's that's so strong, and it's you can you can see it even in you. You know, just it's like embarrassment magnified by ten. You know, such yeah. a such a personal and and such a personal and, and you know when you're in a vulnerable state. Yeah, do you know the reason I wanted to do this with you, and we had wanted to do it before. 
uh, was I thought, you know what, if I can't help people through all this crap that I've gone through, sorry uh, for swearing, but you know, if I cannot help somebody when I have, for <laughs> they haven't been the best experiences, but if I cannot help someone because I've had those experiences and I'm a position, luckily, I'm, I'm so blessed, so lucky to be able to say, you know what, I'm in a position where I've come out the other side and I'm stronger. I can't help somebody, what's the point really? I normally use it in a different context, but I would normally say to people, you've no right to an opinion until you've tried something. Yeah. Not that you would want to try an abusive relationship, but having experienced it, you have a right to an opinion. You have an experience. You have come through the other side. And that's almost why you must speak. Yeah. Yeah. For for a long time, I've never have spoken up and it would never have occurred to me to think I was in a position to help others in any way, shape or form. You know, and I, I would still be very conscious of are people in a place where they are ready to talk about those things? Are they in a place where they're even ready to hear someone say, you know, not that I would say, do you know what, it's going to be okay, because you can't promise that to anybody. You can't, especially when we're all so different and uh, deal with things in different ways. But, yeah, I'd be more wary about how I, how I would approach somebody, how I would speak to them, because you don't know where they are. Um, loath as I am to use the word, you don't know where they are in their journey. Mm-hmm. and if they're ready to hear it if that was to happen to your kids would you accept it if they were in an abusive relationship mm. yeah. it's one of those things you don't know how you will deal with it until if God forbid it happened mm. No, I, I do not think that I could accept, accept that. I, I would do everything I could within my power to, to do something to stop it. I think, and that's, that's what I'm getting from you, is when you can invert that, you know, the amount of negative energy that's pulled you down on all these experiences, and, and, you know, when you can change that same amount of negative energy but make it into the same amount of positive energy how strong you are. Yeah, I am. How powerful. And it's almost as well with with kids or, you know, we wouldn't accept a standard for for kids or for the dog or for anything else. And yet we kind of give ourselves a bit of a bye ball. We we do. It's, uh, yeah, you, you are almost kind of the last on the list. Type of thing, you know, uh, it's it's hard to think um, about sort of uh, if that happened to your child or if someone spoke in a manner to your child, someone spoke in a manner to your dog. It seems ridiculous, but it, it's almost like it's almost ingrained that the most of us we we have to retrain our brains not to put ourselves last. 
and not to think it's okay for someone to speak to me like that. And yet I can look back on memories now and think, what? Why did you let them speak to you like that? How did you not speak up, at least try and stand up for yourself? Um, even, even in the silliest of situations, it's, it's, it's so, it seems like a, a, a bad thing to stick with me. But um, I can remember I worked, I've worked in nurseries and childcare all my life before I became self-employed. Um, I was in a placement and I was out the back and it's so, it's so funny that I remember this in such detail. I was out the back uh, brushing up sand play area. There's nothing glamorous about childcare, nothing. <laughs> and uh, I was brushing up and I was taking a long time because the medication I was settled on, I didn't know the time depressed my brain and I was just, it was like being in a fog and I slowed down times 10. And the owner came and said to me, are you always this slow? Have I always this slow? And in my head, I, I don't know exactly what I felt, but I think it was probably more, do you know what, you're right, sorry about that. You know? Because I didn't say anything, didn't speak up at all. And I think if someone said it to me now, it's, I just wouldn't accept them saying that to me. I would speak up, even if it just meant giving, even if I was being really slow, and it meant saying, you know what, no, I'm not. I'm just not on my best day or whatever it may be. It's perception, isn't it, really? You know, that, as you say, with, with the medication that was having that effect on you, you know, but obviously from an outside perspective that that was making you slow even still the person could have been in, inquiring about your your health and being cared for you but what comes across is that it's it's a judgment upon you definitely yeah it's as i've said before about how you speak to people and i think it's very very important about remembering you don't know uh what the other person will perceive your words as or Will they maybe take it as a slight or an offence? Will they take it? Well, I suppose, like everything, will they take it in the context that it's meant in? Or will it be a miscommunication? It's like the text message. You send a text message and you read it back about 10 times to make sure that cannot sound offensive. You know? <laughs> text messages are deadly. <laughs> and especially when you read your own words, you, you sort of speak it in your words and your mind and all the rest. and And yet somebody can pick it up and it can, you know, meaning can be brought in 10 different ways out of those same words. Totally. Um, I mean, I'm a remarkably sarcastic person, remarkably sarcastic. And it's, I have to be very careful not to be sarcastic in a text message unless it's someone who really knows me so well and I know they'll give as good as they get, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. The, it's, it's, the Northern Irish humour too. Oh, definitely. I think I overthink things as well. Um, I, I, I don't have a terrible memory usually, but honestly, I remember all sorts here. Uh, I can remember sat in my kitchen when things were sort of really not good. And somebody sent me a message said, because my logo was very similar to somebody else's. And they said, I didn't know you were, are you working under them now? Oh my goodness, in the place I was in back then, and my phone 
turns out it bounces. <laughs> bounces. <laughs> it flew across the room. I was I was so upset because at that time my perception was obviously you know being in such a bad place. Obviously you. People thought I was going to be working for somebody, and it's like you know, hi, Daddy. Thank you very much. I'm working for myself here. But at the time, you know, I I took this as a, a total another slide, which was wholeheartedly not the case. What What are your values? I think very much honesty, integrity, being true to yourself. Um, family's not really a value, but I suppose the importance of um, being truthful and open with your family and communicating with them openly. Uh, my values, I tend to have to write them down. I tend to have to think about them to be very, very truthful. Uh, I do, but I, I really value very much, um, uh, yeah, that sort of being true to yourself, integrity. And I, I also, I do value, uh, it's, it's not values as in the question, I suppose, but I do value other people's thoughts on me. I like I like sort of uh, yeah I like to sort of be aware of those and know that which is totally different kind of value I know but it just sort of came to mind and sort of seemed kind of important. Is it any of your business what someone else thinks of you? No, it's their opinion. It's what they think, and it's a reflection on what kind of person they are or where they are. It's it's nothing to do with me. And I know, and yet, I still kind of like to know. Maybe that's just a nosy part of me. <laughs> or maybe it's, it's that human part where we all do like to feel accepted and, and liked or, or loved. And geez, where to get valued. Do you feel accepted? By the people who matter, yeah. Mm. The people who matter, because it's it's odd for so long. I didn't feel accepted even by the people who mattered. I don't think, um, but it didn't help hearing hearing somebody say. So yeah, we're talking about embarrassment there in in the sort of earlier years, and you know how how looking back it was. You know, is there a number of reasons or is there any particular things that stands out for you in that at that time? Do you know what? I'm not sure there is really anything that stands out. I don't know if it was just my my nature or did it stem from the whole never feeling good enough. I've never that's a question I've never asked myself. I must be truthful. Um I don't know. I really don't know because it doesn't actually make any sense to me now. Um, I, I, I think probably it's just sort of stemmed from that idea of that maybe I wasn't worthy enough or um, you know, 
cause of, I suppose that would give off a vibe. I would, I would think to people, you know, and I, I know I was extremely negative, and I, I don't think I would have put myself out as much if, if at that time I perceived it was like, right, they don't want to spend time with me, they want to spend all the time with the other people who are better than me, then I would have backed off. Um, I would, yeah, I would have backed off very much, but I don't think that there was embarrassment at that stage. Just the low self-esteem. I, I don't know where um, embarrassment came in. I think embarrassment, yes. I think only really came into play when I felt I wasn't good enough to use. Some of the things that we talked about, I felt it wasn't good enough, and that then I would have been really embarrassed if somebody came and saw me using it. And you know, what do you think you're doing? I, I, I like I said, I've never thought of it before, and I just going through that thought process. I think that's what it is. I'm curious. I mean, embarrassment comes across almost as a symptom rather than a cause. Does that make sense? Uh, and I'm just wondering, yeah. is it deeper, whether it's judgment, whether it's fear, anxiety, and even those are, are causes as opposed to, or are symptoms as opposed to causes, but. Yeah, um, there's always some main catalyst to things, and a lot of the time we don't really know what it is. It's like you say, if something's not in good form, and you would say, I do what triggers that. You know, um, yeah, it's been a side effect, I suppose, or a symptom of something, but I, I cannot pinpoint that. Hmm. At the start, you talked about being very passionate about mental health. Yes, and really, I, I think that that stems very much from my own problems. Okay. Um, Something that for a long time it wasn't talked about, obviously. It was a very taboo subject and things. And having experienced it, it's, it's more prevalent than, than my thoughts, I think. And the fact that it's being talked about more and more openly is a fantastic thing. Mm. So if it's knowing that I can help in some way has just really, really, really meant something to me. It's been, I suppose I've always been a, a real carer for other people. Um, I've always liked to support other people. And kind of like the other things that we talked about, I'm in a position where I've experienced it, at least my experience can help somebody. Yeah, I would like to because the knock-on effects from even the smallest uh, issues you possibly have with your mental health are huge. You know, it's, people talk about that invisible illness and yeah, it really is. From from what you said, it it almost seems like that's something that's been with you from eleven years of age right through to even just a short while ago. 
the character? Well, I suppose the, the, the mental health side is something you've always health. just been aware of. Um, not, I, well, I, be, I think I've been aware of it, but I haven't really thought as deeply into it as I suppose it is. I, um, maybe, you could, I suppose you could say that the, the issues I went through as a child were my mental health issues, just I would not have known it at the time, and I don't think anybody else would. You know, make fudge and chocolate. I do, yes. There's a big smile on the face there. <laughs> I, I love the, the creativity of it. I lo- I, and I know it, it sounds bad, but I love to know that I there is something that I know I can do really, really well. Not just I can do really, really well. I've done really good jobs. I've done a really good job at things. But to do it for me, I'm not working for somebody else. I'm not doing a good job for somebody else. I'm doing it for me. I'm hopefully setting um, an example for my children. Mm. You know, and there's a huge buzzword. Or not buzzword, a bit. Plenty said there's a huge buzzword. Um, someone's just going to try that or they buy that and they come back wow that was, that was fantastic again the stupidest things you remember I remember I've the market down in Larne and some man oh what a real hurry but I would like to buy some of your chocolates and he bought some and he came back he said I'm in such a hurry but I had to come back and say how good those were and I was just like yay <laughs> Like those little boss moments that really sort of hit your spirits and make you sort of make you realise, you know what? People really find you. So I mean, when we talk about you know the fudge and that side, it's not just you making fudge, there's a whole lot more to it than that, really, isn't it? There is. Um I basically said to people like it we were on a call. Uh, uh, a group call at one stage and chocolate is not just chocolate there's so much um, yeah a, cho- a bar of chocolate is just a bar of chocolate a truffle is just a truffle and I didn't invent them but that's, that's not what you get but if you if you came to be captured would you uh, do some chocolates for Bar the Belly event or stand out to the people who I've done podcasts with yep no problem, but you're not just sending chocolates that thick away of you. You're showing gratitude, you're connecting with people. You're saying, you know what, you are valued, and I'm acknowledging your contribution. There is a lot more to it. It's, um, but if you gave them some rubbish chocolate that wasn't mine, obviously, <laughs> they, no, but if you give someone chocolate, they're kind of rattling the bell. You don't feel that special. They don't. But it's that really. That, that experience in itself when you bite into something like a lime and spearmint chocolate and you just think, oh, that's so nice. Well, you know, it, it, there is definitely more to it than just confectionery on its own. Because you, you do essentially matching, what would you say, would you match identities or match tastes or personalities to the, the, the fudge? Yes. Um, 
I obviously I have the basic range of chocolate flavors. I have a signature range of flavors. I also then will design you a flavor that is inspired by you. Again, we'll use the example, Kate, you've come to me, could you design me a flavor? Certainly no problem. I would go off for a week. I would research maybe a memory you gave me, or it could just be for the business itself. And I would kind of search, delve deeper into what is your podcast about the fire in the belly, or where did your ideas come from? And it's very much about putting your what you find together. I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe it was from a province. Maybe you had that you had the idea when you. There's also things that could be a memory, and you find that you know what you look into the history. Um, Arthur Guinness actually lived down there, so let's take Guinness in as you know the base for the flavour. Um, yeah, you're you're being inspired by the by the person themselves. And just give us an example, because I know you've had some weird and wonderful combinations that the yeah. average the average person would just never put these flavors out there. But I mean, you've had yeah. amazing success. Yeah, did. Uh, yeah, she did. Lovely part, but absolutely lovely lady. Um, she had been. She got engaged and also got married confusedly in Italy. And she gave me the whole backstory and things. And so I went and I researched Fusely. And the, the, uh, I remember the view that was based over there. And the first scene was in Fusely. And you met Miss Honey Church. Honey, yeah. Let's put some honey in there. Uh, and also, I thought, you know what, we'll put some olive oil in because of the trees that she talked about and the olives that they'd eaten. And then also, oh, lemons. Yeah, of course, you know, Italy and lemons. Yeah, let's go with that. The lemon trees. And she actually formed an addiction. That's she called it. She said addicted to lemon would eat lemon like people would eat apples. So anyway, her chocolate then was honey, olive oil, and lemon. And I genuinely, I put these together and I thought, do what? Is this going to work? Because to me, it kind of sounds like it's something you would have for, you know, oh, you've got a bad flu there? Yeah. Of <laughs> that. Um, it was just, oh, the, the silky smoothness from the olive oil and the gradual build-up was the, the honey. It really did. It just worked. It really just worked. And my own flavour is very much lime and spearmint. Which is a little bit more run of the mill, really, I suppose, the lime and spearmint. But that is my memory. That's me watching Doctor Who with my dad, you know, and me hiding it behind the cushions. Because at that point, it was very much there were lime sweets that my mum loved. And the lime, and also just some sort of other little things that we would have had at that time, and the mint came from those other things. And it was just like, yeah, it was just really, really work. And to cut that, then the sweetness of a cho- the white chocolate um, for the coating, 
was just like, yeah, that works. That's, that's I mean, those even just the, the initial flavors, the lemon, olive oil and honey. I mean, I, I can't, that's, that's just blowing my mind, but I, I love the way it's like, I've sort of written down here, like a, a gustatory delight. You know, it's, it's not only is it just, it's not, it's not, it's not even just, I mean, it's, you know, a chocolate, which is an art or a fudge is, is an art on its own, but then you are able to almost mix in memory triggers and meaning and structure into this. So yeah, you, you get the sugar, you get the memory kick, you get the, you know, the, the individual, it's the individual thing as well. I think it's, it's so clever, so clever. It kind of made sense to me to do it um, because we're at Stanford with a, a wedding in Italy. And I came back and obviously I wasn't, I wasn't making the actual wedding cake. It was for my cousin. And I thought it was just really important to me. And I'd also been in radioactive treatment uh, about maybe four four weeks, a month before when I went to a wedding in Italy. Um, that whole time I spent time designing the cakes that I was going to make for the reception when she was back home here in Northern Ireland. So I designed it like that's It's going to be all about Barbara, all about that wedding. It's going to be her flowers. Um, it, it just made sense to me then following on. Well, if I can... If I can see it on the colours, if I can see it on her shoes, if I can see it on the surroundings, well, why not see it her memories? And this make it really special. It's just like from there. It just sort of seemed to evolve naturally. What are some great flavours then? You know, what you mentioned your own lime and spearmint being your own. Yeah, lime and spearmint, raspberry and cardamom. Oh, it's really nice. It's my monthly flavour this this month. Raspberry garden mint, wow. Yeah, and it's dipped in white chocolate. It's just, yeah, lush. Uh, actually, there's a range of raspberry flavours at work. Raspberry with balsamic vinegar is brilliant. Raspberry with lemon, yeah, it's good. Uh, Stacked orange or the orange and cardamom, yeah. Those are kind of those top flavors. Have you seen this elsewhere? Is this just something? Never. I actually I went and looked to see if I could try and find it somewhere. Um, hmm. No, I didn't see it anywhere. So I just decided. Really, at first I thought, oh, this is going to go into you know, really high end places, and just didn't wasn't working at all because I was going to places and they were saying, well, we've nothing here that doesn't have a shelf, that doesn't have like a year's shelf life on what's in those. But I refused to do cut, cut corners and change things. Um, I decided I'd kind of find someone who will eat them straight away. So I decided that that's, okay, that's going to be for business events and client gifts, uh, wedding favours, you know, all, all that kind of thing that you basically you will hand it over on the specified date. It'll be in bulk, so I don't have chocolate left over and wastage. Um, yeah, it'll be within a few days, so it'll be at optimum quality. It's amazing, it really is. It's, it's really 
it's really, really uh, good fun putting those flavours together. Mm. Uh, I admit it can be frustrating finding a flavour to go with some memories. Mm-hmm. That can be very, very tricky. One recently uh, was Ian Walsh, and he said he wanted this for his girlfriend, wanted a flavour. Um, I said, you're going to have to get me memories and things. So he had to go and ask little random questions to try because it was a surprise. So what the, the most thing that we could get was really about the door softener. I thought, well, that's not a flavour. <laughs> but, but I thought, no, we'll, we'll, we'll go with this and we will find something. But at the end, every single flavour that came up from the research was so, so sweet. I said, Eamon, you're going to have to look a bit deeper, get another memory. <laughs> so it was their first date and it was Oreos. And I thought, okay, so it's it's, it's inspired by it. It's, it's not a case of saying that somebody was in France or someone had got an, an Oreo milkshake. It's, it's linked to that, the research. So, yeah, I, I ended up going and researching Oreos and then I went uh researched the place that they had been on the date and it, the word Oreo yeah is it's the Greek word for mountain. So it was a Greek flavour. It was a Greek thing. And I must be trusted, I don't remember the exact ones in that one. Uh there was Orange Blossom was part of it, but that was to complement some of the other things. I can't remember exactly what they were, I wish I could. But yeah, it was really good fun trying to find out all these different things. And it's really surprising what you find out about all of them as well, you know, uh, the history of the Oreo biscuit even itself (laughs) was quite fun to find out about. Or... I mean, are are certain groups of people led by certain tastes and flavors? I mean, do men and women have different tastes or preferences? Do you know? Um, well, when they would speak to me initially, it would be as you do kind of find that a lot of men are very like savory things, you know, or deeper flavors, or they love the idea of stout a lot. It's just that you want their style of it. Yeah, want to try that. Or a lot of them would say they would like to try the same sex type of chili. Or not sorry, like red wine and chili, apologies. Uh, or the starting oil. I think they like the idea of those. But when it comes to actually tasting them, I don't see a real difference. No. There's a perception of it again, perception. There's a, there is that whole, oh, I really like things that are you know, not too sweet or that are savoury, you know, but then when they try things, it's a, maybe a different matter. It is fascinating how, you know, it's gone through and I love the passion you put with this. I mean, you know, it's it's just like something you're, you know, you're meant to be doing, you know, and, and you enjoy it and you research it and you put so much thought into it. It's not just a case of, oh, it's just another set of chocolates, it'd be all right, you know, or, or fudge. Yeah, oh, I'd be, I'd be devastated if somebody ate some of my chocolates. 
I really would. Um, I, I love the creative side of the personal part. Um, that's what makes it really, really special. It's the fact that the flavours, even my signature flavours, have got little backstories. Now, the stories are not on the site just yet, but they will be going up the story of each flavour. Talk to us about your signature flavours. What, what are we looking at here, just to make us even more hungry? <laughs> Look, my signature flavours do tend to be uh, the more usual ones that I did, which were obviously like the orange and cardamom, the lime and spear with the raspberry balsamic, the raspberry garden bit, slight orange. Um, those, those are the ones. Actually, strawberry and balsamic, it's not one of my signatures, but it's one I did, could well come in, and the red wine and chilli. Uh, those, those are my signature flavours and you can actually get those like I said, they're a monthly monthly box, you can get a monthly box of chocolate to your door and you know, put all those signature ones to be included, because obviously they're, they're a bit more expensive than the other ones so, but it'll all be the same set price so I'll look like for your, your order there Absolutely that's great. I mean, strawberry and balsamic. I mean, I love strawberries and I love balsamic. I don't know if I've ever put the two together, but it's so clever when you think about it. I can I can see how that would work. Yeah. That's just like sort of like a sweet and sour idea. I like the way almost as well you talk about being passionate about mental health, you know, and I'm I'm trying to I was trying to see the crossover. It's it's you know, bringing back sweet memories, bringing back, you know, ideas and, I mean, giving someone the tastes. You're, we hear certain music, we taste things or smell mm. things, and those evoke those emotions and those memories, which is, it was almost like, when I, when I first started doing it, I, I did it because I loved the idea, not just kind of think natural. And then it was a case of you know what, you know, like you're you're having people with less experiences and mm. I mean, chocolate also it's it's good for well it's not good for it's not like a treatment, but you know, when you when you're feeling really down, chocolate gives that endorphin pick, you know mm-hmm. if you can uh, link them to good memories then even better. It is. It's something you you sit down, you you treasure it. You know, it's it's a treat and it's a memory all in one. I mean, it's just it's powerful. It's I think it's great. Yeah, it's probably here in your view that too. I didn't realize it was that people would have thought it was just as powerful because uh, just to natural to me, like I say, you know. So it's funny to hear someone say, "Yeah, how powerful it seems." Mm. Yeah. No, well, they say, you know, the the way to a man's heart is through his stomach, you know, and <laughs> that that sounds a bit I more. I so long. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, you know. You feed someone, and, and you know, I know for me, it's I love talking to people about, you know, even their their you know their last meal or something, you know, because people remember where they were when they had a certain meal, or it's made by somebody, or. You know, it's it it just conjures up so many different memories and ideas and you know emotions, which is great. You know, and and it's 
you know, because the past is the past. The past is gone. It's history. But yet we can, you know, in the right way, you can you can conjure up those memories again and, and bring them back. Yeah, totally. Um, it's, it's a really lovely thing to be able to do that, though, because I've often looked and thought, you know, where there's uh, the dementia barber and he goes in, but he has things to evoke the memories for, you know, sort of the older generation. There are people who go in to different places about the music and things. And I thought, you know what, uh, yeah, that's, it's really quite cool that I can bring them back in that way. Yeah, you wonder almost if you could have generational, you know, people talk about, I don't know, whether it's the Beatles or, you know, a certain car or whatever, you know, it's whether you could attach it to those things, you know, to, to uh, you know, invoke memories. Yeah, there's a uh, total possibility there, yeah. I'll give you credit if that will happen. <laughs> <laughs> Are you where you're supposed to be, do you think? Yes. What would you do different? If I could go back. Sure. Um, that's a big question. What would I do differently? Um, gosh, I suppose I wouldn't have got into that relationship. Um, I... I honestly don't know. Mm. I, I cannot help but think if I if things had happened differently, I wouldn't be the person I am today. And I like the person I am today. That's you know, it's so it's so refreshing to you know for you to say that because it is. I, I believe that I believe we're we're a culmination of our experiences, and some of them are hard. Some are really bloody hard, you know, and you've had more than your fair share, a lot more than your fair share. It's, it's, you know what? Uh, it's true. It's funny to think that it's, it's only sort of this past year that I've been able to say that, you know, yes, I'm rather fabulous. Thanks. Yes, I am strong. I went through all that before it was kind of like, so it's okay. It's fine. It's done. <laughs> Can can you accept praise now? I still have difficulty with it, but yeah. A mm. bit more. A bit more. I'm nearly just to say thanks. Mm. You know, I'm not deflecting because it's, uh, it was like a second nature. I think a lot of people have, we generally do have this propensity, especially over here, you know, like, you know, don't get above yourself. Mm. And that we end up saying, oh, yeah, oh, it is a nice hair, but she did it really well, didn't she? If people said to me, oh, you've got your hair cut after lockdown, it's really nice and things. And I was, yeah, Christina cut it really well, didn't she? You know? Deflection. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I do that or I'm, I'm used to humour and things to deflect, but I'm really working on trying to just say to the what, yeah, thank you. Hmm. No, it's... What's a guilty pleasure for you? Fruit salad. No, it's not the same. <laughs> I came across a photograph uh, of my timeline 
And I just thought the irony that I have this lovely little bowl of fruit salad labeled love for them and my bit chocolate. So a guilty pleasure for me. Uh... Ooh. Crappy, uh, crappy books that are not, that are sort of just like really, they're almost like a chick fit type of book, holiday book, or watching really rubbish uh, American TV. Yeah. Good to good to decompress. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. So tell me what what's your fire in the belly now then? No. I think it's that whole looking into the future, making making the best of my second chance of life. After all you've come through, I think that's that's extremely powerful. And the energy and, and what you can bring is is amazing. And it is interesting now you look back and you know, even as you said at the start, you know, you're a lot you're a lot stronger than you thought. And that really yeah. shows. It's it does. And uh, I think there's also that strength of being vulnerable allow yourself to be vulnerable and actually asking for the help that you need. Um, I, I do. I am very, very happy to tell people the rubbish that's gone on, for what a better word, the rubbish that's gone on, because it's, it's not a, a pity party. It's a, a genuine, I'm happy to be vulnerable and open if there's a chance it'll help someone else. You know, uh, I, I, I do that. Myself, I think that itself is a strength because there are always going to be people, either people who will judge you for it, or you know, tell me like 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 I was told before. You know, oh, she's weird. Um, there will always be there will always be little things. You're opening yourself up to a lot of that backlash if when you're when you're open about your feelings and when you allow yourself to really say how you're feeling. Uh, the hardest conversations I've had, I think when I had to be so open, honest, and lay myself there, whether it was the counsellors or it was when I told my husband and then again later that time, my mother and then again later that day, my husband, that I had been self-harming and suicidal. And those open dialogues, especially those two with my mum, uh, my husband, they allowed me to let people in and help me. Yes, I had to really lay myself there and be so vulnerable, but that was like a, a, a building platform where I needed to build from, however they were there for me. And, you know, I believe I uh, even opening that dialogue helped me realise also you know, what they're there with me, they're there for me. And looking back, I think they had it worse than I did because it's almost like the person who's ill. You're you're in that bubble, and you you get a Bible when you can't cope with something and you lose it. It's like my children slammed the door so hard the entire frame came off the walls. I'd go through them. The day I couldn't cope and lost it, and the door came off the frame. God love him. My husband came home 
had he really held it together and he didn't blame me, he didn't shout at me, he knew it was because I was just really totally mentally just unable to cope at that particular time. And you do, you get a Bible and you get away with stuff. I've always had the luxury of only looking at what's going on with you, how things affect you. So to, to me, I think they had it harder. They had to hold things together for themselves, for each other, for me, you know, and then the extra, the extra worry about what was really going on in my head that they didn't know about. And, and was I so self-harming or suicidal or, you know, my, uh, my mum outside at three in the morning, should I go in and see if she's done something stupid? Um, you know, this, that they had it so, so badly. I do think it's worse than the person who has something tangible to focus on. You know, that was what was also difficult about after the radioactive treatment. It was like, what do I focus on now? You know, and it was very much baking. It was, uh, I focused on baking all through 2014, uh, 2015. Uh, then it was, that led on, that's what led on to the chocolates. You know, I just wanted to see what else I could do. So, yeah, yeah uh, I do think that they had a particularly hard time when my husband struggled to come out of carriage role. As well, quite, yeah, that, that was quite difficult, I think. It's always amazing to hear both sides, you know, and, and when people are sort of stuck in that place and whether it be suicide, you know, and, and self-harm and all those different things that everyone has a different perspective. Everyone has a different role and, yeah. you know, there's no right, there's no wrong and perceptions shift as well. Belief shift, everything shifts. Definitely. And, you know, but it, it can be, it, it is, it is, it is hard. There's no doubt, you know, but... <laughs> Like everybody, like everybody has that rawness, and it, it was only sort of towards the end that I realised, you know, oh, do you know what? We're all on this big hike together, and I just had noticed those supportive people around me. But again, it was back to, like we said, but you're not being vulnerable, like me, let them in. And I think that, that that did take a lot of courage on my part to do that. But it was, my doctor had said to me, you really need to have those conversations. And I just thought, right, let's just get it over with because I do not want to do this. I really do not want to do this. And I just had them start. Like, I just don't look at me, don't speak. Because I knew if I saw their face, I mean, I just, just will not go any further with this. You know, if they say anything and I see how they're hurting because of it, I won't, I won't go on. I won't say anything. So, Luckily, they were brilliant. They respected my wishes and that way they didn't look at me. They didn't interrupt. And I know that all my mother wanted to do was to hug me so tightly and say it's going to be okay. You know, because that's me what we do. And I just got the best mother in the world. <laughs> that's beautiful. I mean, to have that support around you is, is amazing. I have been incredibly lucky. 
so very lucky, the people of my life. Mm. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing where where it all goes, really. So tell me, how can people reach out to you? How can they learn more about your your treats and your delights? Yeah, if you head over to capjilda-classic.co.uk, uh, um, you can get possibly there and you could order just over there as well. Or you could email uh, Capjilda Classic Confections at gmail.com I'm on Facebook as well there but but it's just at that's fantastic (laughs) Catherine it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for coming on and as always it's it's a pleasure to to talk to you and learn so much and um, it's it's amazing to see where you've come from and where you're going to so thank you thank you I've really enjoyed speaking to you well that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly you know, this really wouldn't be possible without our great guests taking the time to share their personal journeys. And boy, boy, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you. 